Ryan Little. <laughs> What's going on everyone you're tuned to fatima love cyber <laughs> because i do my name is fatima adelado and this season i will be spotlighting some amazing women in cybersecurity. listen as they share their experiences and bottom of the myths we've all heard about being a woman in this male-dominated industry we'll be taking a deep dive into how they started their journey in cybersecurity, some of the things that have helped them so far and practical ways to reduce the gender gap in this industry. Hello, listener. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. Right now, it's called Fatima Love Cyber. And uh, the first season, this first season, will be premised just around women in cybersecurity. It's actually a continuation of my LinkedIn series called Celebrating Women in Cybersecurity. And if you're familiar with the series, then you already know how it is. And if you're not, welcome. And basically, this season will just spotlight and celebrate the amazing women in cybersecurity. I'll be talking about the experiences in this male-dominated workforce. So um, my first introducing, basically, my first um, guest on the podcast, her name is Kimberly Setbier. Kimberly is an IT and cybersecurity business development professional. She is IT World Canada's top woman in cybersecurity. She's a speaker, she's a board director, she's an advisor. I can go on and on. So true confession, right? This is a this um, um, we recorded this um, some weeks back, but I lost the introductory bits, and that's why I'm doing this now. So. Um, We'll get into the session now. But again, welcome to my podcast. Please let me know if you have suggestions, comments, inputs, whatever it is, and enjoy the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So I'll just get started. The first question is, in your opinion, and based on your experience, what are the main causes of women's underrepresentation in cybersecurity? I mean, I know everybody, everybody has their own, um, I mean, there are like general, you know, things people would say, but based on your own um, experience and the, yeah, just your opinion, what would you say are some of the causes of the yeah. presentation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously everybody's experiences are different. So I love that you said based on my experience. So um, I've been in technology for 22 years, but I've worked in male-dominated industries since I was 19 years old. So I think my experience is potentially going to be a little different than others where maybe they've not worked in male-dominated industries and maybe, you know, they're new into tech or potentially new into cyber. But I think one of the biggest um, reasons is it goes back to that old saying of you can't be what you can't see. And throughout my career, I had never seen any women in cybersecurity. There was also very few women in technology. And I think the confusion about what a cybersecurity career might look like or a path to get to cybersecurity might look like or even the requirements to be in cybersecurity, I think it's very vague. I think it's very confusing and very intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I think that has held a lot of 
women back. Um, maybe it's because of the lack of understanding of what's, you know, what the industry is all about. But I think the the biggest is lack of representation. That if we're not seeing, you know, more women in cybersecurity, that we wouldn't even think that that's a you know, a path that we go down. And if you look at it from even the youngest ages, when you think of the old school career days in elementary schools where you brought your parent to work day, you know, it was very traditional roles that you would see men and women in. And I think the reality is that our our world is changing very much for the better and realize many people are realizing that, you know, there doesn't and shouldn't be a barrier for different genders getting into different professions and different careers or different education or just even just general personal interests. Right, right. Um, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I got some things that really, that really stand out. So you just said you can't be what you can't see. I think that's, I mean, that's just interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. And you're right. Um, so I'll just move on to the next one. So I don't make too much of a conversation because I can go on and on just from, you know, just this response you've given. So um, the next question is just, um, so uh, what are some of the things that got you particularly interested in cybersecurity? And are there any resources that helped you as a woman uh, that could, you know, potentially make other women, you know, I guess more encouraged to pursue the same career path? Uh, you said you started about 22 years ago, and I'm sure cybersecurity was not popular then. So what actually got you interested in cybersecurity? Yeah, it's funny because I like to say cybersecurity wasn't a thing when I got into technology. Exactly. It, it actually was. I just didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, as far as what got me interested in technology, that was pure chance. I was working in international logistics and transportation, and the industry was very male-dominated, but it was very dirty, and I mean that in the most physical sense. So when I would go in to meet with a customer, I would go into a warehouse or to their, you know, their 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 office in a warehouse. Um, it was covered in dirt and dust from all the forklifts running around. It smelled like propane from the forklifts running around, and there was that pivotal moment where I was sitting in a chair with wheels on it, meeting with the customer, and the wheel fell off the chair, and I fell out of the chair, papers oh, and everything wow. covered, in, covered in dirt. I'm like, that's it, I have to do something different. So I ended up working with a recruiter to find out what are, you know, what other jobs are out there. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, what do you think about telecom? And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but sure. So that was my first dip my toes into technology, and then what interested me in cybersecurity didn't really happen until about six years ago. So I was uh, an account manager at TELUS, and that meant you were, I'm going to call it the, the liaison between the customer and the rest of the TELUS organization. And if a customer had a business problem or a challenge that could be addressed by my, you know, our finance team or our HR team or our health team or our cybersecurity team or our contact center team, you then bring those specialists in to help go through the technical discovery, understand what they're trying to accomplish, and then potentially either with services or products, technology, you would help solve those business problems. Obviously, you're selling that to them as a, a product or a service. And part of that role, I started skimming the surface on cybersecurity and that was the not that selling PRIs isn't super riveting, but the cybersecurity piece actually 
got my attention and made me really curious. So that's what really turned my interest into cybersecurity. And also, I suppose the, um, the like the dark side of it. Like there's this evil happening, and there's all these <laughs> crazy things that are going on in the world of you know the, like this is terrible. Like how could these you know hackers be doing this to organizations right, and understanding right. that the motivation behind it. So that's what interested me in it was, I guess, the intrigue of cybersecurity. It sounded very mm-hmm, mysterious, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm, exciting. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you're involved with some of your customer opportunities and you get to talk. You know, you're not the one leading the conversation because you're not the cybersecurity expert. You've brought that subject matter expert in. But that's what really interested me. And then the cybersecurity sales director was looking to hire two new people. And I said to him, hey, I know a lot of people in my network. Let me find, you know, let me see if I can help you find somebody. So a few weeks went by. I sent him a few candidates. It, nothing had turned out to be a, a fit. And then I started thinking about it because I was looking for a change at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was either potentially looking outside of that employer at Telus or looking somewhere within Telus. So I texted him and I said, hey, what about me? He goes, what about you, what? And I said, what about me for that cybersecurity role? He goes, let's chat. So we chatted and, you know, the usual, why do you want to get into it? And I thought I would have known 25% of what I needed to, to be successful in that role. And I was really wrong. I only knew about 5%. So it was a massive, massive learning curve for me. And I think that was one of the things that, I had already seen what the security practice leads had done, and I thought, well, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I have the skill set to do what they do. I just need to be trained on the subject matter. And right. I became a student, and I studied like crazy, whether it was internal um, resources, whether it was, you know, Googling and reading articles, whether it was watching, you know, videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I, like, I just became a, a self um self-professed student I didn't go and get any designations or certifications because I was in sales and that wasn't something that was going to benefit me in that role or even required of me in that role but I certainly did a ton of research and a ton of reading to to get into it but I think the the mystery and the intrigue is what initially attracted me to Mm -hmm. cybersecurity. that's interesting and I mean I always say it's that so if you're someone who's open to learning, someone who doesn't mind, you know, going back, um, reskilling, upskilling, then obviously cybersecurity might be the one for you because cybersecurity is constantly evolving. You always have to learn. You always have to watch something or learn something or break something. So I think, yeah, not even having the background, but having that mindset where you're open to learning is something that obviously has helped you. And um, yes. yeah, it's interesting to know and to keep hearing it in one way or the other or in one form or the other from different people in cybersecurity. So I guess that's something yes. people that are looking to, you know, go into cybersecurity would, you know, look into <laughs> that you have to constantly or always, you know, um, learn, I guess, new things. It's something that could potentially help. It's so true. And I think there's so many transferable skill sets from traditional roles that are beneficial to bring into cybersecurity. Just like you said, that desire to learn that, you know, genuine sense of curiosity, Mm -hmm. some type of an analytic mindset. Those like I know people that have come from different backgrounds. One person was a bank teller. She's now a director of cybersecurity. One person was interior design. She now sells cybersecurity consulting Mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. One person was a lawyer. He's now a forensics investigator. So I think the the beauty about cybersecurity is that 
it's it truly is not as daunting as people as think people it is um, right yeah i just think there needs to be so much done uh, from an education and an awareness standpoint that cybersecurity is a very welcoming field and yes it is a bit mysterious and it is you know kind of confusing and mm-hmm. a bit daunting once you're in but what i really found about the cybersecurity community as people is they're all very welcoming and they're very warm and they want to help and they want to empower and encourage and uplift others. And that's been, you know, I've worked since I was 19 years old and I've never experienced the joy and pleasure of a field like cybersecurity in my entire career. Mm, that's, that's really nice to know. That's really, I guess it would be such an encouraging thing for people to know. Um, I think I've experienced yeah. that as well. Um, just people are welcoming, people are open to, you know, sharing their ideas and their own knowledge or study um, path with you, and it just eases your way um, naturally. Um, Also, people are willing to take time out twice to talk to you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, yeah, I I really agree with you. Um, Yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity, and it's a welcoming field. Uh, Once you are able to, obviously, get past all that... um, all that defense, all that dramatic defense that, you know, the industry puts around it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, can you talk briefly about Tanium? Is that how it's pronounced? Or is it Tanium? I wasn't sure. Tanium. Tanium. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I can, I can share a little bit about Tanium just from a salesperson's perspective. By no means am I a spokesperson of Tanium. Mm -hmm. I'm not media relations contact I'm not um, trained to speak to the media but this is just you know Kimberly's experience and um, what I can share as you know as an employee and as a salesperson of Tanium so um, the company was founded by David and Orion Hendawi it's a father-son duo who previously had founded Big Fix before they sold that to IBM and when they found Atanium, they were looking to address a global problem that most IT executives faced, and that was general visibility across their IT estate. And the in, like, truly, the industry is flawed. When you look at the traditional approach that most technology vendors take to solving problems, they will start a cybersecurity company and they will build and engineer and invent this amazing technology that addresses one or two use cases and often it's very good technology and it works very well the challenge is that that's forced it and cybersecurity leaders to invest in multiple tools to address multiple different use cases. So that creates a great deal of complexity in their IT and cybersecurity architecture in their environment. Mm-hmm. And that complexity does is it makes it very difficult for them to make any kind of confident decisions around business transformation, around digital transformation, around reducing risk, around you know getting into new markets, etc. Because Either the data that they're looking at is you know, really hard to be stitched together and contextualized to make a broad, um, you know, to make a broad decision across their their state of the environment. And I'll give you an example. The result of having the complex environments that they built and that the industry has forced them to build. Mm-hmm 
they struggle to answer simple questions like how many assets do I have where right. are they located right. who's using them what's on them are they vulnerable and then even if they could answer those questions they're not going to be able to do it in real time they're typically not you know they don't typically trust the information that they have that they've pulled from their systems but then if you're facing a situation where maybe there's a ransomware attack or maybe there's a global you know critical vulnerability like log4j or there's yeah. a digital supply chain attack like solar winds it, they're then set on their heels because they're at a point of a disadvantage right away that they don't have that visibility so it makes it impossible for them to quickly take control quickly make confident critical business decisions right. to help them reduce risk so what tanium is is a converged endpoint and security platform or xem mm-hmm. that helps organizations and it works really well at scale, so especially for large organizations, to gain that overall enterprise-wide visibility over their endpoints, but more importantly, gives them the ability to then take action and do something about some of the problems that they're seeing and make those confident decisions around, you know, maybe it's a merger or an acquisition that they're going through, or maybe it's a cybersecurity incident. But it really is so our, I'll call it our secret sauce is called our linear chain architecture. So it's a very different architecture compared to traditional hub and spoke architectures. And what that means is there's three pillars that, you know, that are the foundation of the architecture. It's speed, simplicity, and scale. And those are the most important things when you want to make critical business decisions is you want to have that accurate information at your fingertips in real time and the ability to have a simple you know, enterprise-wide view that all of your teams can use. So IT operations can use Tanium, risk and compliance can use Tanium, cybersecurity can use Tanium. So you start to break down those data silos between those different teams and the different tool sets, and you enable them to collaborate and be more effective together using that single source of truth out of the Tanium platform, using one console, and it starts to make a much more effective resilient and secure team and a secure environment for the business so that's what we do um that's why we were founded we're a private company and um yeah i love it i've been here two and a half years and Mm -hmm. i've never seen an organization do what tanium can do for customers so it's been it's been really refreshing and it's been a, a joy to work with them that's impressive um so I, I won't I won't um, narrow you know zoom in on Tanium. I'll just zoom in on yeah. your um, journey. You've talked about how you started, but have, what can you say in terms of just as a woman climbing the corporate ladder to where you are now? Yeah, um, it's funny because when I was younger, like in I'd say from 19 to 30, I never really felt that I was discriminated against because I was a woman. I never really felt like I was at a disadvantage because I was a woman. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it was because I was naive. I don't know if it was because it just actually wasn't happening, which I kind of don't. Um, Or maybe it was a lack of awakening and awareness on my part that I just felt I was in the role that I was in and I stayed in my lane and I did my thing. But after sort of that 30 years old um, point until now, there's a lot of things that I've noticed. Um, Now, I'd say I'm a bit of a different 
woman as far as the characteristics because I can be a bit of a loud mouth and I'll call that <laughs> confidence and I can speak up and I have no problem going head to head with anybody mm-hmm. regardless of their title or their gender. Um, but what I did learn is that I was paid less in two of the roles that I was in in my career right. and not just paid less but paid a lot less and I was the top performer on those teams and that made me it made me realize two things it made me realize the inequity the unfairness of like how dare you not pay men and women the same thing but then it also made exactly and I think it was KPMG I'm trying to remember which company it was one of the big companies that went through their organization and they did an equity um like they basically went through and made sure that women were paid the same as men globally. Now, if every organization did that around the world, mm-hmm. first of all, it'll, it'll never happen. I don't think in our lifetime. Um, but if every organization did that around the world, I think it would make for a much healthier economy and business environment and much happier and um I'm going to say healthy as in um, ability to afford childcare, ability to afford groceries, ability Mm -hmm. to afford heat, like hot water, all of those great things. Like if people were paid equally. Um, But then it also made me reflect on, well, you know, if I was to take an ownership role in this problem that I saw in being treated differently, what, what should I do? What could I do? And the first thing I think is to stand up and speak out and, Mm -hmm. You know, be a champion for other women to make sure that they're not being treated, un- you know, unfairly. But then also in salary negotiations, like was, you know, if you were to put me and a man in the same room negotiating for a new job, would I behave the same way as the man or would I back down early on a salary negotiation? Mm-hmm. So those are some things that I had to think about in my own journey. And um From a leadership perspective, I've been very fortunate because I've always been put on a leadership track, but I do believe that's because I've worked my butt off and I've (laughs) I've been successful and I've done well. But I've also noticed that when I come into a new organization, that sometimes if I try really hard because I know I have to, because I know I'm a woman, then sometimes I outshine my peers and I'll get razzed by my peers to say, like, can you calm down a little bit, lady? Like, you're making me look bad. And I'm thinking, then step up your game. game. But exactly. you, you often don't do that. We're just like, oh, darn, geez, I'm now making that person look bad. And the fact that I even think that, like, that's wrong. Like, I'm sorry, but if I'm outshining you, step it up. Like, exactly. Don't let me outshine you. Like, yeah. bring the competition up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. So um, I think, I mean, just from our conversation so far, I'm leaning towards having now, um, so I've been thinking of a podcast, right? But just for yeah. this series, I think I'm leaning now more towards just having conversations with people as opposed to, you know, sending that form and having people feel. I mean, it's been it's been enlightening so far, actually, reveal stories and experiences, but having this one-on-one, I think it's just, it just takes a totally different um, turn and it's just giving me just different ideas. Um, yeah, I yeah. think podcasts are fantastic. I think they're definitely um, they're definitely a way to to communicate and get a message out, but they're also a, a great way to 
entertain and entertain. educate. I, I, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. The only the the some of the things that I maybe would um what's it called that I'm still deliberating or considering would be not making the podcast about just women in cybersecurity or celebrating women in cybersecurity, but making it diverse or diverse such that I can bring on even men. Um, I'd have this series continue, obviously, but also bring men, you know, hear their thoughts and just talk generally about cybersecurity, especially in Africa and, you know, how, how we compare to, like, the rest of the world and just to know what's happening in cybersecurity generally. So talking to you now and hearing just, you know, the one-on-one basically is just, you know, probing me and showing me that I need to do this. And, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. Okay, so um, talking about organizations, hiring, you know, diversity in cybersecurity, what are some of the things you think organizations should, you know, strive towards? What concrete measures do you think will be implemented to ensure that there's more diversity in terms of organization hiring in cybersecurity? Yeah, good question. So I think uh, it does have to be measured, but I think... Um, you don't want to have a quota of you need, you know, mm-hmm. X number of employees of right. this diverse background, mm-hmm. um, whether that's cultural, um, of physical or mental, emotional abilities, whether mm-hmm. it's gender, whether it's, you know, geographical. Like, I just, I think having a, a quota and, you know, penalizing people if they don't have that quota of hiring those types of people is a is a slippery slope I think it's a good idea but I think if it's if it's implemented and managed to just meet a quota it's the wrong thing I think right. it needs to be more systemic and more grassroots around educating people in the field of why diverse workforces are better by bringing diverse thought and diverse ideas to an organization and to a table, giving them examples of why that's made a business better, why it's made um, lifestyles better, why it's made employee experience and customer experience better. I think that needs to be the driver. And then once you've culturally shifted your organization to recognize that diversity is a very good thing, then that becomes an easier conversation when you know, going to market to hire and find new talent. And I think part of that natural inclination as the culture is changing is rather than, you know, going in your traditional networks of these are the people that I know, you know, maybe they're all middle-aged white men or maybe they're all, um, you know, of a certain age group. And I think that's the wrong thing to do. I think looking for people that have different skill sets that are, like I said earlier, around that transferable skill sets, mm-hmm. um, looking for people that come in with a different background. You don't want cookie cutter hiring. You need different people. And I think hiring um, managers and human resource teams need to get more creative in the way that they recruit. Right. I think they get they need to get more creative and flexible in their job postings and their job titles. Like I'll give you an example. I talked to a health authority here in BC recently and they were posting for um, a security analyst. It was an entry level role, yet they required two or three years of experience. I'm like, well then how is that entry level? And they said, well, that's just the way that our HR team describes the role. I'm like, well then your HR team needs to wake up because that's wrong. And if you are 
hiring for entry level, then change the job posting, change the HR policy. So I think there needs to be collaboration with hiring teams, you know, with HR teams to help them educate, you know, for example, cybersecurity, help educate them on the fact that there's this massive global talent shortage. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to market with your unicorn search job posting, you're not helping solve the problem. A, you're not going to find the candidate, but B, you are going to miss out on potential people that are maybe, you know, within your organization that might want to come over from a different department that have all of those skill sets that in you know, they might be able to step into the role and start off with the basics, but then employers need to invest in their education. And just because they don't come to the table with a certain cybersecurity designation or training doesn't mean you shouldn't consider them. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And so. job postings need to change their verbiage. Like, nothing should ever say man hours. It should say people hours. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. That is interesting. So I always, I mean, I've always thought about um, just the languages that are captured in job postings, but I've never thought about just the man hours. You're right. It, it, it could be discouraging to some people. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I read an article recently about inclusive language mm-hmm. and how it changed, like, instead of chairman, chairperson. Like, it just, it was... It was such a good article. If I if I find it, I'll send it to you. But it just oh, it made me wake up. And then things like whitelists and blacklists, right. things like um, you know different terminology that is from old old English language that's now offensive. That it's people offensive. right just you know like people that are I'm almost fifty and I look at people that are in their seventies. It's potentially they'll never learn. But then I look at people that are in their 20s and I've had my friend's children call me out because I've said a word that I didn't know was offensive. And (laughs) I felt like such a complete idiot where it's like, where have I been? How do I know that's not not appropriate? And she's like, well, I don't know, but it's not. I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Let me rephrase and not use that language again. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, I agree. I totally agree. Um, that that language, that um, re- reorientation of HR. I, I think HR has such a huge role to play, not just organizations, but HR. Just because if you talk to people, even in, within like um, organizations, they tell you, oh, it's HR. Oh, that's how HR, you know, advertises it. Oh, that's how HR just. So for me, it's like it needs to be like a top-down thing where you know the management is on board and everybody then knows that it's not just a matter of HR, but it's an organization-wide thing and we need to correct it. And then HR will be first, I guess, um, or I reckon, um, will be first to also just have a change of mentality in terms of um, the language they use in hiring. I think that would go along. Agreed. And the one thing that I learned through my career, I think when you first get into a job, you're taught that HR is there for you as the employee. They are not. They are there to cover the organization's butt. That's one thing I've learned with any of my with HR, that you think they're there to help you. And for the most part, they try and they do a good job in most instances, but they are there to protect the organization. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is interesting. Okay, so to the next question, um, a lot of women. I know we've said this earlier about you know just like 
the, the different domains in cybersecurity, the different types of roles in cybersecurity, but a lot of people still are deterred just by the fact that they think that you absolutely must learn how to code or program uh, or without it, you can't work in cybersecurity. Um, again, yeah. in my opinion, even coding, programming is something might be daunting. It's something people think might be daunting, but I feel like once you just get your, once you get your toes wet or you attempt it, it gets easier, in my opinion, right? I'm not saying it's the easiest thing, but that alone should not, even if it was the case that you have to absolutely learn how to code, I don't think it should be such a deterrent factor that people run away from it. But what do you yeah. then say to people who, just will not even touch cybersecurity or will not even attempt to, you know, venture into cybersecurity just because they feel like you absolutely must know how to code. Yeah, I think um, I think there needs to be a the, the veil needs to be lifted off of the profession. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, what people think is involved in cybersecurity is not necessarily always that way. Like I look at myself and. Um, I've been in, you know, sales, business development, marketing for years, and I'm still in cybersecurity, and I know a lot about cybersecurity, but it's because I've educated my myself. Right. So I think as people are looking to get into cybersecurity, those of us that are already in it, we need to be more... Um, open and creative in the way that we speak about our profession and talk to those individuals to find out what their transferable skill sets are and say, hey, you'd make a great X. And by the way, you might not need all that much training to get into it, or you'd be great in this type of role. I think there needs to be the inside out instead of the outside in. I think there needs to be more of us in the industry speaking about how to get into cybersecurity. And a lot of people bring business skills, you know, maybe they want to focus on privacy. And you think of the cybersecurity field as being very vast, that it's not just and I wrote an article on LinkedIn recently about like cybersecurity is not just about the techno weenie clacking away on the keyboard. Like it's very much more than that and you you know you could be in audit or insurance or privacy or forensics or um you know sales and marketing and business development like those are all very different skill sets and you know even as a salesperson coming into the cybersecurity field you generally need to have some cybersecurity knowledge now not everyone because we've all come here you know I've come from outside of the cybersecurity field and I've been trained and I've been able to to learn but I think the other thing too is um you know looking at job postings and if you're interested in getting a secure a career in cybersecurity is looking at job postings reading the description of what the day-to-day role is understanding if there is a certification or training required you know how much will that cost you how much time you know is that something you want to take on and then also talking to people in the cybersecurity field in a multiple multiple different roles to learn about what does their day-to-day job look and feel like and the reason i say that's so important is i had a friend that i went to high school with who got phenomenal marks went on to university to become a lawyer and he was uh, practicing law i think it was for three or four years and then he's like no this isn't it he's like i dreamt of being in a courtroom and you know with everything i saw on tv and he's like all i do is read (laughs) he's like i don't want to read so he ended up becoming an insurance salesperson he's been very successful at it so i think a lot of misunderstanding of what 
jobs are actually like, what's done on a day-to-day basis, and then reflecting that back to what does that potential newcomer into the industry like to do every day, what are they good at, and then we on the inside can help them navigate where it might be a good fit for them. That's that's really um, interesting, and it just then... um, I'll just make that segue to my next question. Like, it just gives me, like, that perfect segue into my next question. So you talked about um, inside in, not outside, inside out, not outside in, right? And um, it's just the perfect um, um, leverage that I'd like to take now to the next question, which is about mentorship. Um, A lot of people, you know, cybersecurity background, you know, educational-wise or not, um, professional-wise or not, that want to, you know, go further in cybersecurity. Um, don't know where to start from, for example. There's proliferation of resources on the internet. Even I sometimes am, um, you know, just boggled by, where do I start from? What, what, what do I do? <laughs> so imagine someone who doesn't even have the experience at all, who doesn't know how to filter, who doesn't know what is bug bounty, what is pen testing, what is, um, you know, risk and compliance, how do I even start? Um, so how can we, you know, approach this inside out um, approach that you've, um, you've just rightfully mentioned in terms of mentorship to people that want to break into the, the, the industry? Uh, so I guess yep. the question, you know, to make it solid would be, what do you think about mentorship in cybersecurity? How important is, is it? And how do you go about finding a mentor? Yeah, I think it's critical. It's it's absolutely important. And I think, um, I think there's two types of mentorship. There's um, senior, you know, older, professional in the industry mentoring younger people that are newcomers i think there's also actually there's actually three three types so there's the older to the younger then i think there's the younger to the older like when i mentor people in all honesty they teach me just as much as i'm teaching them because it's a generational education gap but then there's also peer-to-peer mentorship of like hey I kind of like what you're doing. What did you do to get there? And I think there's sort of those three ways to look at mentorship. But then also, I think mentorship, there's the formal mentorship where you have the mentor and the mentee and they meet on a monthly basis for an hour and they do so for a year. Then I think there's lots of, I'm going to call them micro mentorships, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you may have a conversation or two with somebody that they say something or they give you advice or they ask you questions to make you think differently or to go explore yourself or explore Mm. a topic Mm. those little micro mentorships might be as simple as one conversation and i don't think i can't say enough you know how important those are as well and they should not be overlooked and also those people become connections so maybe they're not a mentor that is somebody that's going to be talking to you for an hour a month for a year but maybe there's somebody that's going to put you in touch with somebody that's going to be meaningful in your career so it's absolutely important and i also think as people that are exploring the industry coming in and saying hey will you be my mentor might turn off the person you're coming to talk to but saying hey do you have five minutes for me and that person might have five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour but maybe they don't have that regular time to be a mentor but maybe they could put you in touch with somebody that could you know give you another few hours and I think mentorship has been fairly defined with you know fairly rigid constructs but Mm -hmm. it needs to be 
considered differently in my opinion it needs to be looked at differently but right. i think it's critical and right. i think finding mentors it, it's kind of oh gosh i'm going to use a really stupid terminology but i'm going to use it anyway it's kind of like dating, it's kind of like dating or it's kind of like a sales role where mm. you have to get a lot of no's before you're going to get a yes and right. that's the same with mentorships is you know if somebody's looking for a mentor and they ask 10 people and they're turned down so what keep asking another 10 mm. people you'll find your mm. I've just sent you something in LinkedIn that's an article that I published about people wanting to get into cybersecurity because I often have these conversations and I decide to write an article about it of what resources to, and it's not exhaustive, like there's lots of topics I've missed, but these are just on the top of my head the day I wrote it. I will, I will, I will review it definitely, definitely. I'm trying to put something together myself. Um, Yes, it's because it's such a popular question, right? What do I start with? How do I start? Like, it is such a popular question and the resources are just endless, endless. Um, and I, I think, like you said about podcasts, that's one thing for me that's really helped um, open my eyes to mm-hmm. what the industry is all about. And mm-hmm. there's tons of great podcasts out there. Yeah. And I think if people listen to podcasts and start listening to different stories and different um types of podcasts Mm -hmm. that might help them on their journey that they might learn and listen to something that oh my god i want to be a you know a physical penetration tester or i want to be forensics or privacy is my jam like i think there's so many podcasts that can help on that journey absolutely absolutely and which also points to why i started this series right i feel like listening to other people's experiences or just hearing people's journeys in you know in their career is something that might just stimulate something in someone who's searching for an answer for example that will just you know help you answer uh, whatever question you have or you just stimulate something that says okay i just want to be like kim I, I think i want to go to sales and then maybe i'll find my way to cyber security for example so um so absolutely, true. absolutely you are right you're right and um yes um it's, it's interesting that you talked about the micro mentorship the peer-to-peer those were the ones that stood out to me because i have not necessarily had like a mentor honestly sometimes i i i I struggle with the word mentor because um, people use it so strictly. People use it so, and sometimes yeah, I struggle with it. But um, micro mentorship, pair to pair mentorship, is something that I've benefited a lot from. And um, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's not just you know messaging someone and saying, oh please be my mentor today. <laughs> you know, t- expecting that someone will just take you on like that. Um, it's in the it's in the five minutes conversation that you ask for or you request for. And who knows the conversation like you've rightly said might also open doors to okay maybe talk to this other person i know this other person who's maybe in this line of you know the industry that could potentially help you or maybe something in your conversation five minute conversation could lead to like a longer conversation that could potentially help solve uh whatever problems so true yeah so absolutely um my last question i know it's 543 already um sorry about that it's because this no worries my pleasure enjoyable (laughs) um um, so for just people that are, you know, entry level cyber enthusiasts, they don't know what's going on in cybersecurity, but they're thinking, you know what, I've been hearing cybersecurity. I think I want to try cybersecurity. I don't know. 
if it's daunting or not, but what would you just say to anybody as an advice? How would you advise them? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fresh out of school. I'm considering cybersecurity or I just want to go into cybersecurity. I've, I've, I've worked 10 years in a separate industry, but just anybody that wants to venture into cybersecurity, really, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, I think... Um for them to really understand the reasons why they go into want to go into cybersecurity is it the excitement is it you know what is that and then i think having them reach out to people mm. in their network that are already working in cybersecurity to start building their network and being verbal and vocal about their desire to move in cybersecurity right. i think quite often that's the the missing link that people have a desire to go into it but they're not telling other people they're not vocal about it they're not expressing that hey this is i'm a big fan of the law of attraction so i think this is very important mm -hmm. um but i also think exploring um career paths because i don't believe there are any two cybersecurity career paths that are alike or at least i haven't come across any and i still think I'm going to say I still think cybersecurity is somewhat new because when you think of the percentage of people in the world that work in cyber, it's such a small percentage and we have this massive, you know, massive global talent gap right. that there's just not enough awareness about it. So I think exploring, um, you know, people in your network, their, what their jobs are like on a day-to-day -day basis, asking them, like, you know, going to them and sharing their background to say, hey, I've done this. This is what my previous career looks like. I'd like to get in cybersecurity. Where do you think my skill set would be a fit? Because a lot of times they can easily say, you'd be great here. You'd be great there. And by the way, I know someone, so let me introduce you. Um, mm -hmm. The second thing is become a student of the topic and again that's listening to podcasts it's mm -hmm. reading it's googling um i still every day learn and i just had lunch or dinner with somebody recently and she's a lot younger than me and she has a background in bug bounty and right. i'm like please tell me all about that because mm -hmm. that's a part of the industry that i just don't know enough about mm -hmm. and it's a continual daily learning and education and the more they can absorb the better off they're going to be when picking their direction in cybersecurity. but i think a lot of it has to do with building their network and volunteering if they have an opportunity to volunteer that's what i did i volunteered with isaka in vancouver i didn't know anything about what i was doing i took on an event to actually like produce take over for somebody and produce those events and mm. I was way over my head, but I learned a ton and I did it. Yeah, yeah. I think stretch your comfort zone is my biggest piece of advice. Like if you want to get into cybersecurity, you're going to have to constantly learn and stretch your comfort zone and you're going to fail and you're going to make boo-boos and mistakes and that's okay. But just get up, dust yourself off, move along. It'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be my advice. That that is that is interesting. Um, talking about you know just stretching your comfort zone is how I started my career. Actually, I started. Oh really? Yes. Um, so I started as an intern, and um, the organization was just starting as well, so in infancy. And there was there was one other person in IT who was the IT manager. I as the IT intern, there were maybe just less than twenty people in the organization at the time. And another opportunity, you know, came up for the IT manager and he had to go. 
and I as an intern had to develop as the IT head. <laughs> I mean, I was way, way, way over my head. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was anything. I only had theoretical knowledge from school. And um, you know, it was it was it was such a it was such a stretching yet defining moment in my career. I started you know just learning and reading and connecting with people and just networking with people. I started taking classes from like CCNA networking. Um, I started ITL. I started just different things because I had so much you know void that I needed to fill my head with so um but but it was it was such a good one for me because it then gave me that um learning um just that learning streak now I know that if anything comes up I can definitely learn it I mean if I could 10 years ago when I when I didn't know anything of course I, I can now and um yeah it just it just stressed me so much and it made me comfortable with stretching so um you're absolutely right what you've just mentioned like so you took over and you were way over your head but you were still (laughs) but you were still in that organization the most knowledgeable about that subject matter about that subject matter you're right (laughs) i've never looked at it that way that's the thing is that everyone would come to you because you were the one in charge, whether you felt like you should be there or not, or you felt like you're in over your head. Everyone was coming to you because they're like, oh, she's who we have to go to. Yes. She runs this program. Yes. She needs this. Yes. And I think that's the thing is, and also that genuine sense of authenticity, you know, there's some of that fake it till you make it, but then mm-hmm. the genuine sense of authenticity to say like, I actually don't know, but let me find out for you. And right. when people see you, say that I don't know but I'm going to find out you become that fabulous role model of somebody that jumped in or was forced in or left you know, however <laughs> you got there right. and were successful so I love hearing stories like that like that thank you thank you that was absolutely you know what happened to me and um, that's yeah. how I started in IT and I remained in IT and I just evolved into cybersecurity. I feel like we're um like once you're in IT and cyber, it's very hard to leave. It just sucks us in because it changes, like you said earlier, so much. Yeah. And you're almost never bored. There's always something new to learn or pivot within our own company or our own job or our career. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I took a break at some point to go back to school to study. Uh, so I pursued an MBA and I did it just um, basically to increase my network, you know, also gain some business and finance acumen, but also to see if there was any chance or if there, was a, if there would be any interest for me to pivot into something else. But yeah. I mean, I love finance. I, I did really well in finance, but I just found out that IT is what I want, you know, and <laughs> naturally just after school, resumed back to IT. Uh, I know people who change careers after MBA, but I just, yeah. I just didn't think of it. I just, I just know that IT is, the, is just the place that I want to be. So when you think of that transferable skill set from finance and doing an MBA, like what do you say would be your top three characteristics or skill sets that make you successful in cyber? Um, so uh, I'd say the first thing would be analytical skills. Um, yeah. Definitely, uh, I've always been an analytical person, but going back to school and, you know, having to study accounting, um, data analytics, I mean, data analytics is is, is also tech, but I didn't have that. I didn't have any exposure to, 
data analytics so finance mostly <laughs> finance advanced finance economics macroeconomics microeconomics um all of that needed me to you know um improve and enhance my analytical skills so definitely analytical skills is something that i'd say stands out um yeah. transferable skills would also be in terms of um human relations so diversity inclusion my program had people from what 86 nationalities it was in france and um, beautiful exactly so um it, it just exposed me to like a world of you know interrelation with people uh not just people yeah. from my own background but people from <laughs> i mean 86 nationalities um so in terms of um, relating with them working with them you know um ensuring that you still focus on the goal but still bringing your own value proposition um your own values in terms of um maybe cultural um religious all that managing all of that um just um personal slash business um um background and then mixing that with people from other diverse backgrounds as well so um i'd say my so analytical um diversity is that a skill set or just inter i think so personal yeah, yeah interrelationship with people and um finally maybe just something um surrounding communication as well i mean that can be that can be bounced off just you know working with people from different environments or skill sets or backgrounds but also just the effective communication is something that i think um i, I think it got enhanced just by you know taking a, a break and going back to school um so learning to communicate with different stakeholders differently but still effectively and then bringing that obviously back to cybersecurity, knowing that what's you know, someone from finance, for example, needs is not necessarily what someone on like the board um, of, of an organization needs to hear, uh, uh, you know, it's something that you need to work, you definitely need to, you know, work on. So if I'm talking to my IT team, I can go all tech and, you know, use all that technical yeah. jargon. But if I'm presenting to the management, the communication has to be different. Still the same thing that we're communicating, but just in a different format, different way. And so, yeah, um, communication skills also is another thing that definitely is a transferable skill. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think the what you just said, like that translation of tech to executive business mm-hmm. conversations, that's, in my opinion, one of the most valuable yet rare skill sets in our industry. There's very few people who can carry that level of conversation on. And um, I think that is probably one of your, your, your biggest um assets right right you're absolutely right and i mean communication for me goes even beyond just your day-to-day work life it also then um transcends into your personal life as well it also transcends into i mean linkedin for example um i had the biggest i had the biggest breakthrough on linkedin when i decided to you know um think about my audience think about what people like to hear what people just what people maybe are looking for and trying to maybe answer to that i think that's those are some of the things or those are some of the guiding principles behind what i post you know um 
when I post, um, not just waking up and putting things that maybe would go on Twitter, for example, is knowing that, okay, this is a professional uh, platform. And while you can also be yourself, obviously, the genuineness or uh, being genuine is definitely something you can't, I mean, you shouldn't trade, but also just knowing that different communication works for different platforms as well. And um, um, yeah, it's something that I think just goes you know from work to personal to social media to emails and all of that so definitely yeah agreed i think so well, this has been so lovely to chat with this you has it's been, been really really fun this has been really it's really been fun. Very thank you one-sided that was all about me so i'd love to learn more about you in the in the future so thanks for your your time i really absolutely appreciate it. i'm here i'm here whenever <laughs> and now if you don't mind i'll find a way to not just transcribe this into like words i'll see if i can do like a podcast or audio just something nice from this because i feel like people need to hear from you not just read from you so i'll see what i can do and i will you know get back to you on that sounds lovely thank you so much thank you it's been really nice all right all right, talk to you soon. All right. have bye. a great night you too bye